Good morning. Whether you are joining us online or here in the sanctuary, welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Uh, my name is Ed Prue, and I am a guest speaker here today. It is a privilege and a joy for me to join you today in this wonderful place that I've heard so much about. I have heard that you are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. Is that true? Yes, yes it is. I especially want to welcome you here if you are new to the church. We welcome a long tradition of seeking a spark of the divine in every person. It's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy amongst you and amongst us, either in the comments online or by simply turning to those around you here in the sanctuary to greet the holy amongst you this morning. And I invite uh, Peter to help light our chalice this morning as we read our chalice lighting words together, which will appear for you. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share until we start Amen. Good morning. I'm Peter Langlois. I've been a member of First UU for about 15 years, and I use the pronouns he, him. Our call to worship this morning is by the Reverend Tanya Yadira Marquez, she, Ea, an ordained UU minister, spiritual director, and hospital chaplain in San Diego, California, whose ministry is influenced by her immigrant and fronteriza experiences. It is a wonder and mystery that our paths have crossed, that in the immensity of time, in the vastness of space, we coincide here. I am in awe at the ways in which our lives intersect and intertwine, at the beauty we create when we gather. May our coming together make us more compassionate, more just, more caring, and more loving. May our hearts and minds be open to this offering. I'm so glad you're here. Let us worship, let us marvel at the miracle of being here right now and the mystery that has brought us together. Now please rise in body and or spirit to sing hymn number 16 in the gray hymnal, Tis a Gift to be Simple. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be Turn. 
now I invite you to affirm your mission statement. One of the most important things you do every Sunday. You remind yourselves why you're here and what you are doing here. I invite you to do that with me now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Hey, you 
let go is the day of forgiving that you say you gotta choose your side and when it's done nobody right nobody wrong nobody right now nobody right nobody wrong and I say one man got a jet fighter and the other one got a song nobody right nobody wrong this is the time in our service where we center ourselves together we breathe together we take a moment and we just breathe And when we breathe together, we sense one another's loving presence. Breathing in, breathing out, we follow our breath to a place deep inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where the spark of the divine resides within each of us. Breathing together, We enter into a time of sacred silence together. We pause for a moment of silence. We all carry sorrows, joys, hopes, and remembrances with us. They fill this room. We now invite you to take a moment and allow them to be with us in this room by lighting a candle. If you feel, if you feel so moved, please feel free to bring these joys, these hopes and remembrances into the room with us at this time.
Our reading this morning is in our gray hymnal and is without attribution. But with a little digging around, you'll find that it was extracted from a longer poem by William Arthur Ward, who was an American author and motivational speaker who lived from 1921 to 1994. These words are entitled, To Risk. To laugh is to risk appearing a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas and dreams before a crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risks must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he cannot learn, feel, change, grow, or live. Chained by his servitude, he is a slave who has forfeited all freedom. Only a person who risks is free. I, uh, I used to be an itinerant preacher. I'd go from church to church in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. I did that for about 10 years while I was going through seminary. And, um, and I'm not going to say I never got any pushback on things I said, but of all the things I said, this is the thing that I said that I got the most pushback on. And I'm going to say it to you right now. And it's going to feel, for some of you, like I'm asking you to walk around with your shoes on the wrong feet. Okay? It's a funny feeling. But hold with me. Stay with me. All right? I used to say this. I used to well, I still say it. <laughs> it is better to be loved than it is to be right. I can feel some of you tensing up. Right? It is better to be loved than it is to be right. And then, through the process of saying that, someone brought to my attention that apparently Dr. Wayne Dyer said something similar. Do you remember Dr. Wayne Dyer? Yeah, he died a few years ago, right? But he said, when given a choice between being right and being kind, choose kind. Now, Where'd the pushback come from? Let me just clarify some of the things that I didn't say. I didn't say that being wrong is all right. Right? I didn't say that. I also didn't say that facts don't matter to nice people. (laughs) And I also didn't say that being loved is the same as being nice. Because sometimes being nice is not very nice. We know this, right? Also, kind and nice are not always the same thing, are they? Right? So I didn't say those things. Those are the things that I didn't say. What I said was, it's better to be loved than it is to be right. And I still believe that to this day. And I'm going to give you, for those of you who need everything to be pragmatic, I'm going to give you a very pragmatic reason for this. Okay? It goes back to the story. You can be as right as you want to be. If nobody likes you, 
doesn't help that you're right. It's, you have some comfort in being right, but if nobody, the, the, the being right doesn't help anybody. It doesn't make the world a better place. It's not a practical thing. The other thing is, is to be, to be, to make yourself open to being loved. This is a, this is a, this is a difficult thing for some people. Make yourself open and available. This is a very difficult thing for some people. But to do it is a sign of strength. The strong are able to, or the emotionally strong, the emotionally open are able to open themselves up in a way that really enables them to connect with people. This, I think, is the underlying problem with the story that the boy who cried wolf. We tell our kids that the story of the boy who cried wolf is about lying. I don't think it's really about lying. I think it's about having people like you, right? The, the problem, the reason why we don't lie is what I told the kids was the reason why we don't lie is because when you lie to someone enough times, you, do you like people who lie to you? No, of course you don't. So why would you think that people would like you if you lie to them? <coughs> When you take this and multiply it times a village, times a country, times a city, times a universe, you can see that we have forgotten as individuals and as a society how to prioritize being loved over being right. We have chosen right over being loved over and over and over again. And this has led to a total, almost total breakdown of communication on an individual level, on a collective level, and on a societal level. We see this, right? We see that this brand of news, if you watch the news on two different channels, you'd think you were watching two separate movies, right? Living in two separate countries. And this is starting, I think it started a long time ago, but I think it's really starting to have a visible effect right now. And I'd like to bring you through a little tour of some of the events, the recent events in our lives where this is manifesting itself. So you can see what this inability to talk to each other actually looks like in real life. Because it's easy to imagine it in words. It's harder to imagine it. What does that look like in real life? So we're going to go through a little tour. We're going to start with small, and the groups are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as we go through this. Okay? So the first stop on our tour is Newport News, Virginia. In Newport News, Virginia, a six-year-old boy brought a gun to school with the intent purpose of killing his teacher. Have you heard that story? The school district has only issued one statement on this, and the one statement was, it was not an accident. He didn't bring it for show and tell and accidentally shoot the teacher. He intentionally brought the gun to school to shoot the teacher. So let's look at the breakdown of communication here. You have the communication between the boy and the teacher. You have the communication between the teacher and the parents, and you have the communication between the parents and the boy. I don't think anyone in this conversation was talking to each other. I don't think anybody knew. Now, there are some extenuating circumstances with this particular thing, but we see this often. 
This is disturbing. That This is what happens. This is what happens when we can't talk to each other. Or when we can, but we choose not to. Right? The only statement the parents made was that they support gun training for children. It's the only statement that the parents made. This is a six-year-old boy with a nine-millimeter. You ever shoot a nine-millimeter? The recoil, blow the gun right out of your hand. If it, when, when I was 12, I shot it for the first time. This kid's six, and he shot the gun twice. So this is not the first time this kid has held this gun, right? So that's our first example of what happens when conversations can't happen, when breakdowns happen. And we're going to go from the small, we're going to go a little bit bigger now. Now we're going to go to Memphis. We all know what happened in Memphis. In Memphis, what underlied what happened in Memphis was that they gave the community what they wanted. They did not give the community what they needed. They used power over to do this, right? We're talking about, of course, Tyree Nichols. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about Tyree Nichols. I'm talking about what happened that resulted in Tyree Nichols. So first, what you have to know about Tyree Nichols, and, and you know, I know you all read the news. You all are well aware of the news. Tyree Nichols was a 29-year-old black man. He was 6 feet 3 inches tall. And here's what you don't know. He weighed 145 pounds. He was 6 feet 3 inches tall, and he weighed 145 pounds. Right? He had Crohn's disease. This is not a well man. He had a four-year-old son. And I'd also like to read into the record here the people on the other, the people, the other people, the other victims involved in this awful crime. The policemen. So the policemen were put on a unit called the Scorpion Unit, which calls, which was called Scorpion. This was the name of the unit, by the way, Scorpion. Right. So right on the top. This isn't the Boy Scouts. Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. It was a street crimes operation. They, they were at least honest. They created a, a band of policemen that looked an awful lot like a gang. To Darius Bean, he was 24 years old. His police experience before being put on this very selective team was one year, four months. Demetrius Haley, he was 30. His police experience was one year, four months, but he was a prior corrections officer. Emmett Martin, he was 30. He is 30. His police experience was two years, nine months. Desmond Mills, he was 30. He's 32. And his police experience was three years, nine months. And then Justin Smith, he was, he's 28. And his police experience was two, nine, two years, nine months. So the most experienced police person on this force was three years, nine months. This does not sound like something you create to fix a problem, does it? This is a bunch of junior people that were sent out to create to solve a problem that they were probably ill-equipped to solve. And then the last one, the last one that was fired later, his name was Preston Hemphill. 
He was, he was um, disciplined twice in his one year as a policeman before being put on the Scorpion team. They gave the people what they wanted. They did not enter into a conversation with the community. They did not enter into conversation with other police departments. They just gave the people what they wanted. They wanted this roving SWAT team with no rules. And that's what they got. And it cost Tyree Nichols his life. Another example of how the breakdown happens when we can't talk to each other. Now we're going to go from Memphis to Long Island. Long Island, the third congressional district of Long Island, with its new representative, Mr. George Santos, who if you watch late night TV, you are well acquainted with. (laughs) What happened? How did we get to George Santos, folks? This is a larger group now, right? We've gone from the small... To, the, to a larger group, Memphis. Now we're going to a whole congressional district on Long Island. How did we get there? George Santos, I have to tell you, was brilliant. He told the red team what they wanted to hear. He told the blue team what they wanted to hear. And he knew they'd never talk to each other, so they'd never check it out. He literally gave different lies to different groups of people which is what makes him so funny on late-night television. But this dude's in Congress, folks. Talk about not being able to talk to each other. He knew that he didn't even... He he lied to different groups in the same day. We can't talk to each other. So we don't know what each other is thinking. And we end up with George Santos. And God knows how many others. I don't even know. I just took a particular interest in this George Santos fellow because it was just so riveting what he did. It, it, was, it bordered on brilliant what he did, really. He just, he just completely saw this hole that we created for ourselves. And he saw it as a hole so big he could drive a truck through it. And that's exactly what he did. He drove his George Santos truck right through that hole. And we're suffering for it. Now let's go to the biggest one. And there are more. These are just four examples. The biggest one, we're going to go to London. We're going to look at Brexit. Brexit is the same story, folks. Everybody just saying whatever they want to say. And if we can get to half plus one, we're going to do it. And that's what they did. They got to half plus one because they told one side one thing and another side the other thing. And they each blew their dog whistles and nobody knew what anybody was saying. And now we've got an entire continent starting to break apart. There are other countries that are looking at Brexit now and saying, well, we want to do it too. So you take what took 40 years to get unity back, unity together is now being broken apart. And the foundation of what's breaking it apart is the fact that we can't talk to each other. How silly is that? We are all great at talking to each other, aren't we? But when the, when the stakes get high, we have problem with this. And there's so much stuff underlying Brexit, right? 
There's race, there's isolationism, there's white superiority, there's British superiority. This is a very complex topic, but it was allowed to fester and germinate and just putrefy in this dish of not being able to talk to each other. So how can we possibly be a force for good in the face of all of this? You hear it every week at churches like this one, at Unitarian Universalist churches like this one. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody here. I'm sure you have. If I know Aaron and Chris, I'm sure you have heard people say that we need to engage in the work of widening and deepening and strengthening our circle of belonging. We've heard the circle of belonging, right? Right? Well, you don't widen, strengthen, and deepen your circle of belonging by not talking to people, do you? It's impossible to do that. We have to very simply, and this is hard, I get it, I'm one with you, right? We have to listen a lot more than we talk. It's hard. It's especially when people are saying some stuff, right? It's hard. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. But you have to stay there with them, right? I hear what you're saying, and and it's hard because some people say some awful things. Awful, awful. But you're never going to change their mind if you're not talking to them. That's what you are. That's what each one of you are. You're the antidote. You're the, uh, you're the vaccine. You're the vaccine that go in and say... Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I heard that awfully racist, homophobic, transphobic, that awful thing that you just said. I hear what you're saying. And rather than saying, I'm not talking to you anymore because of that awful thing you said, now we're not talking to these people whose minds clearly need to be changed. Right? So we believe their minds need to be changed, and yet what do we do? It's hard. It's super hard, right? And then the other thing I'm going to tell you to do, and this is going to be the hardest thing to do for a lot of you, rely less on facts than on relationships. Whew, that's a tough one, right? Oh, facts. I like facts. Because facts ain't got nothing to do with me. Right? Facts are easy. If I say personally, it's a different thing now, right? This is very, very hard, and it takes a strength of will. It takes a remarkable strength of will, especially in the face of some of the evil that we see. In the face of Tyree Nichols, in the face of this six year old boy who brought a gun to school, can't be mad at the boy, but the parents? Yikes. Right? It's so easy to be indignant. It's so easy to be angry. But our faith calls us to stay with it and stay in the conversation. You are the antidote. And this place is the place where you derive your strength to do that work, to deepen, to widen, to strengthen your circle of belonging. Because you 
you're better with a wider and deeper and stronger sort circle of belonging. I'm better. We're all better for it. It's hard to see sometimes, and it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And this community, we will restore this community of nations, of cities, towns, of communities, of schools. We will restore this community because of this community. This is it right here. I know it's hard to see sometimes. It's just church. It's just church. Right? But this is it. This is where the magic happens. And I believe that Unitarian Universalist churches specifically are the place where this happens. So I empower you. I empower you with love. I empower you with all of my hope and wishes for you and for a greater community and for a greater Austin to go out and just sometimes don't talk. And listen, it's really, really hard. And don't rely on facts. Yes, that is exactly what happened. I believe you. Now, and stay in relationship with as many people as icky as it may feel. Stay in relationship with them because that is how we will change this place back to that beloved community we want it to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. If there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace at home. And if there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. Go forward, my friends, knowing, go forward knowing the role you play in the communities in which you are a part, and go forward knowing the role that those communities play in you. Be well, and thank you very much for having me here. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org